0: All right. and a reminder, we still have Sunday night simple service at 6.30. In case uh, you or somebody you know are not able to make it to Sunday morning services, because it's stripped down uh, service is just communion, maybe a song to speak. So we're doing that tonight as well. You know, starting the new year, is no better place to be than in church. But um, I think for Christians, probably the number one resolution we make is that we're going to read through the Bible this year, right? That you might have saw on the news recently, the Christian Heaton, the I uh, said that uh, she just got them reading through the Bible after a whole year. It's like a big deal. It's like first of all, like, you know, it shouldn't be new. I <laughs> think every Christian ought to be reading through the Bible like that. But good for her. I mean, better like to have older than I am, and it took this long to get to it. But um, I think the reason why a lot of people don't read through the whole Bible is they get intimidated by it. They, get, they start reading through it as if it were a novel, and they get bogged down so far into it and they, they give up on it. You need to understand the Bible is not laid out in a chronological order like that. It is a story, but it's unlike any other story. The Bible is absolutely true, and it is history, but it's not laid out like a history book in school. This book is like no other. it various authors, 66 books, uh, written by um, over a lot of time periods, different cultures, different languages, but... One true author with one story, and, and this story is really hybrid. Now, there's an end to the Bible, but it's still is going on throughout. us. We're part of that story, and it really is better than any story of fiction, any movie, or play or mythology. This is a true story, meaning that it operates on a couple of different levels. There's a lower story and an upper story. The other story is what God is doing up here throughout the whole thing, uh, working on his plans, his purposes. Meanwhile, all these human intervention activities are going on. Uh, they seem kind of random, but really God is working on his eternal purposes through all those temporal, earthly experiences. So when we better understand the point of the Bible's plot, the overall picture, the big picture they're all going to have answers to, like, big questions. That's our big idea, is to read the Bible to get the answers to, like, big questions. Like, okay, so what's the point of the Bible's plot? It really it's all about this God who invites us to be in fellowship with Him forever. He's got everything he can to make that possible, but he leaves the decision to you and me. And um, whether our story turns out a happy ending or not depends on the choices we make. What I do with you today is share something that I saw years and years ago, and I used to teach this, but I lost it. And so I haven't seen it for many years, but I uh, have to think of it recently. We had an active school Bible club here on Monday, and I thought, okay, I'm going to show it to them. And I decided to show it to the staff. And I thought, well, why not just show it to everybody? Because it's very helpful that you get a, a firm grasp on the Bible. I don't know you, Maybe you grew up like me in church and you heard all these different Bible stories, but you never knew how they all fit together. And it wasn't until, of all places in my public high school that I took a Bible literature course that I saw the flow of Bible history, and it really made a whole lot more sense to me. So that's what I'm going to give you this memory device to do today. And I think this is going to be a good bridge from what we just went through, our Christmas series, on Jesus being the greatest of all time, how the whole Bible is really about Him, He's the main character. All the Old Testament was pointing to him, leading up to preparing the world for him. And then he arrive the New Testament. He you got all the B.C. before Christ, in the A.D., and in the Domini, you hear of our Lord. And uh, the New Testament reveals him to be the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Christ, the Savior. And uh, we saw how he's to do doing his ministry from heaven and what he's going to do forever. But the next series, we start next week, is going back the Gospel of John, the story of Jesus. We're going to be in chapter 12 and 13 following him on his final journey to the cross. chapter 12 and 13 will call him Jesus, beginning of the end. So, this is going to link those two together. So, I'm going to put up on the screen now this memory device that is a picture uh, that we call Jake, be slowly, Jake carries Coco. It's a Jake picture. Uh, It's a. it's weird, I know, but that's what you do. It's memorable, right? Again, I couldn't I find this curriculum book anymore, so I just had to get this on my own. So, no, it's not going to be in the loose or anything like that. But it's, it's helpful because each one of the continents and each slowly, they clearly stands for one of the major periods, time slides, periods, or segments of Bible history. So, if you can remember this, then you're going to remember the layout of the Bible story. So, First of all, you got to understand the Bible is laid out in two major sections, right? Old Testament BC, New Testament AD. And so I'm going to this message in two segments. I'm going to focus mostly on the Old Testament story because so it's the bigger, longer story. Then we're going to take a break. Don't worry. Then so to do the shorter New Testament story after that, tie it all together. All right. So let's go back to the very beginning. That's the beginning. Be slowly. Beginning. That's how the Bible begins. Put it down. It's in the beginning God. Now, understanding that back then, the upper story and the lower story were virtually the same. God was working his story through his creation, right? And it's so vital to understand the beginning part of the Bible because it lays the foundation for everything else. It determines, really, your whole world view. Understand that God made the universe. We don't know how long ago, but. The crowning, climactic culmination of his creation was to man and woman. And that was just a few thousand years ago. So it answers the question what is our purpose? Why didn't he make human? Oh, well, no, God himself is a Trinity. He is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So he has always been in fellowship with himself in life, and love his life. He didn't need anybody else. But he desired to have children. They need to have a personal, ongoing, forever relationship with you. say, well, why would he do that? If you didn't need to, why didn't he? Well, if you have children, I would ask you the same thing. Why in the world do you have children? If you had your choice, maybe it wasn't, but you have them. But the risk. you need the potential, right? Why would you do that? Because, you know, my younger son is getting ready now to have his first child this year. And he had no idea how this world was archaic, right? I why would I do that? Why would I go to all the hassle and trouble and expense to have children? Well, you did. So why wouldn't go? God did the same thing? But yeah, but God made people knowing that they would, they would mess up and they would be condemned and they could go to hell. Yeah you brought toward the end of this world, right? You knew a potential. You know how they could turn out. You know how they could turn on you. They could turn out very fast. And they could, they could be on that fast themselves. And you you brought them into the world. But, but the potential was worth the risk. Also life, what did. do. Cool. And they already created a supernatural realm, filled so with these spiritual creatures called angels, but they apparently were not created in his image. He gave them free will. But some of them chose to defy him. Even though their rights right in his direct presence of glory without any outside interference or temptation, some of them chose to defy him and rebel. So they rebel, fell, were expelled, one day they the be sent to hell. Those are what we call demons. God wanted more than a relationship with these spiritual creatures. He wanted to create physical, material children made in His image, who would have reason and free will. Otherwise, they would just be programmed robots and puppets. There's no relationship to that free will. He didn't want animals who are not made in His image, who do not have a spirit that will live in His forever family. That's why He made humans. So He prepares his natural realm. Uh, This planet for them to rule and reign over, this garden to plant and enjoy in some area of what we now call the Middle East, and he declared that it was all good. A perfect paradise where he showed up in some form to walk with them, to talk with them, provide everything they needed. So our next big question is all right, well, what's our problem? Why aren't we still in Eden? Crazy this world, the way God intended it to be. Why aren't we living in paradise? And the answer is very simple, That's It's sin. That's why this story is a tragedy. Because Adam and Eve gave all that up, not accidentally, but on purpose. The Bible tells us the story of two trees the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life provides access to locality. Get agree and with one restriction. Don't exercise your free will to see to disrupt and disobey me. Because when you do, you're gonna die. So they've got a choice. Whether to agree with God, knowledge is evil, or to deny it and define good and evil on their own terms, and rule the world on their own terms. And that's when the serpent of the story, we know be the devil, and he tempts the woman, did God really say that? So she chooses to trust the serpent, she did trust God, because like pride and her love for what was forbidden, led her to defiance against God, and deception of her husband, and he Against the same temptation, they both fell because they wanted to be their own God. Over the consequence, of the question, there was innocence, shame and blame, and disconnection from God, and returning to God. Right now under the curse of a fallen planet where there is pain, adversity, and death. Well, it's not the end of the reveals his missionary plan to make a promise to send somebody who would restore all things, redeem them, and cross the serpent's head. So now the story diverges into an upper story and a lower story, and in the upper story it's got a relentless pursuit. The message about how his creatures, while the story below, in many ways, is the of a bunch of people, with a few notable expressions, who continue to rebel and repose on themselves and on each other. Now, the fallout for all succeeding generations is vice. So violence, idolatry, corruption, and evil. Because so God is patient and merciful for a long time until finally his patience runs out and he decides to justly display his life wrath last by putting an end to this world to destroy all humanity. Looks like the end. But it's not the end of the story of because the purpose is not to end it, but to restart humanity. The upper story plan is still to redeem and restore. And so he decides to save just one, right to No Noah's family. He said, This is what? They given a second chance, they given a new world, and a new beginning. He said, it's improved. No. no. That people begin to conspire together. The same pride and lust that was in the garden. And they build a tower. They complete with God. How about Babel? And Babel eventually becomes known as Babylon. And it for any system or nation that's sin opposed to God. And we're in Babylon right now as well. So to prevent that kind of conspiring together any longer, God disperses them, confuses their language. And that's why the world is in the shape of sin. But now the story makes a major turn to the call. In about 2000 BC, we get to the next place, the patriarchs. These are the fathers of God's people, the fathers of the faithful. God calls one man out of all the people, all the nations, to enter into a covenant with him. He says to this man, if you will believe in me, Okay, then I will bless not only your family, but I will bless all the world through your course, If you look at the story, we begin to see God's heart. What kind of God is He? What is God's heart? Well, He has a missionary plan for all people. Yes, He begins this new nation called the Jews, or the Hebrews. But really, it was about all people. He's getting the world ready for this someone who promised back in the garden that he was sent to redeem and restore. He's preparing a holy people for whom this Messiah will come. So he called Abraham and Sarah to leave the pagan idolatry behind and journey to a promised land where he can bless them, where they can build a family, build. People build beneath them, and there in their old age, they have the miracle baby Isaac. And Isaac grows up and has Jacob. And Jacob grows up and has 12 sons, you know, as the 12 tribes, which the 12 families of Jacob, or Israel, because Jacob just is remains Israel. So these are the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 sons. The story takes another turn here, because her sons turn, turn on the young brother's churches. And he gets sold into what? So, slavery. Slavery in Egypt. Okay, that's just the book of Genesis, it's a question. So i got to speed things up now. Uh, because here, tragedy turns out for good. God works it for the Joseph rises to rule in Egypt. He saves his whole family during a famine. They come to live in Egypt, in behind the promised land. They move to this pagan foreign land. Temporarily, but it turned out not to be very temporarily, because they end up getting enslaved for the next 400 plus years. This is around the year 1800 BC. We ask the question All right, well, now what? What rescue? How did God rescue? Well, that's the story of the Exodus, the next book in the Bible. And this is so key, so foundational to the history of Israel. It is the of that their whole existence is really founded on. what so brings them together as a united nation, a community of faith. Around 1450 BC, God sends a right and perfect Jewish refugee the Moses to tell Pharaoh, Let right, my people go. No, Time to go back to the promised land. Pharaoh says no. So God sends 10 slaves to convince him. And to convince everybody that he's the one true God and all their idols are false. But still, you know, kill them. to no avail until the 10th plague, the death plague, where he's going to, to gonna send a, a death angel to put together the firstborn of everybody in Egypt, the same way Pharaoh had done that to the Hebrew baby. But in his mercy, he offers salvation. If you will sacrifice and have a spirit blow over your doorframes at your home, then my angel will pass over and you will be spared. Hebrews obeyed, Jesus did not, Jesus let the Hebrews go free. So, what did this show? How did God rescue? Through sacrifice, through the substitution of a lamb. Instead of putting to death the people that deserve it, he allows the an animal to take its place. And that becomes the foundation of Israel's whole animal transportation system for centuries. They leave Egypt. They escape through the parting of the Red Sea. And on their way to the promised land, they're free. And they question, all right, what now? How should we now live? And we all ask that. What does God expect of me? We know it's one. He expects us to be holy as he is. That's why he gives us the L, the law to demonstrate his moral perfection. He said, This is what I'm like. And you're to be like me. So they stop off at Mount Sinai. God comes down on the mountain and fearsome fire and smoke and the mountain crumbles violently. Moses goes up to represent the people and receives hundreds of laws. But it's the ten Written by the very finger of God, on of those two prophets that becomes the foundation to all of Israel's law. This is what will set them apart as holy, as distinct, as countercultural from the rest of the world. This is what we would call the Jewish covenant or the Old Testament law. It's what prepares the people to be holy, so that the Messiah can come through that holy line. But that's way there is Told them what holiness is. It told them that they're not holy because nobody could ever keep the law. Nobody could fulfill it perfectly. That's why they needed a Messiah to come. They needed a spiritual deliverance from slavery. They needed a human one to be the sacrifice because animals couldn't be a substitute for them. In fact, like it shows how poor people are. Just like that, when Moses up on the mountain the Ten Commandments, what are the Israelites doing? you are down in the camp, going crazy, going off the rails, resorting back to all that idolatry and immorality they had picked up from Egypt. So God still pursuing his plan. He takes them to the border of their promised land. And even though they're stubborn and they're complaining the whole way, God continues to dwell in their midst, of what we call the tabernacle. And so on that, on that picture, I do a little check there because that's the holy text got okay. presence, wealth among them, and he provides for them, and he performs miracles, yet when they arrive, they still fail, to fall into disbelief. So around 1400 BC, they take a 40 year detour to the W, the wanderings in the wilderness, right? So that that generation can die off. And their children, who would not distrust and disobey God, can be the one to enter into the promised land. Even Moses doesn't say going to go into the promised land, but before you leaves them, he promises blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience, and that there would be another prophet who would come and who would tell that going to be. Moses is the central figure of the Jewish people, of the nation of Israel, the key figure other than perhaps Abraham himself. Another big question we have is okay. Well, what is God's role in our life? Is He the kind of God that just on the rules and then retreats? No, He's active, involved in our lives, guiding, teaching, helping. We still, sure to this day, invite His blessings or His curses, depending on our choices. Well, the consequence of our choices, Moses. Is now gone. and they give them another year. He's now, Don do He's now, for He who reads them into the L, the land, the promised land. And they conquer all the evil, immoral, pathologist people that have been living there. The God has patiently allowed them to live there for centuries. But the God's people, finally, fulfill the promise, and they get to go home. Now, one day, they're going to turn out to be easy worse than the people that grew, grew up. But for now, things are good, and they're divided into the twelve tribes, the twelve regions of Israel. And I think of like the American colonies, thirteen colonies, there are twelve colonies, and for over three hundred years, those colonies, those tribes, those families are ruled by local leaders, jay, the judges. Because there's a cycle that goes on for these few hundred years. And uh, where the people would live to God, but after a while they forget Him, they fall back into idolatry and immorality. So God would make good on His threat, He will help the neighboring nations to come in and conquer them, to do them for a while, until they call out and repent. And then God would send a deliverer, a judge, who would free them and things would be good again. But so then they just fall back into the same cycle over and over what. Because the Book of Judges says everybody was doing what was right in their own time. They were full God's law, but they were really modest. And the final judge came, And they reject him. They said, We want a king like all the other nations, which meant they were really rejecting God as their king. So God took fun. He what us Let's see where that gets you. So we enter the next period of the timeline to stay, which is the That happens around 1050 BC. God gives them a series of three kings, each ruling about 40 years Saul, David, Solomon. Saul turns out i to be a very good king, disobedient, The God replaces them with David, a man after my own heart. And David leads them well. And The people prosper, and they're united. David establishes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. He expands the kingdom, and he gives preparations to build a temple. But, you know, David has his laws as well. So he doesn't get to build the temple, It's his son, Solomon. Solomon gets to build the temple. He he begins his hereditary dynasty now. Because God says, i of have left the world with a kingdom like David one day. he'll come through the line of David. So this temple, and I drew a picture of of a little temple underneath the crown, so it's here to change and the temple, the gold name, the height of Israel's glory. Solomon is, is in control. But, um, you know, this temple It's not just the center of worship for the Jews, it's supposed to be the center for the whole world. So we ask another big question What is God's goal for our lives? Israel mistook this and I thought, well, it's just us. Just us and nobody else. No. God put Israel there to be a light to the nation, to show the people who's the one true God. But they didn't do that very well. We're put here to influence for the rest of the world. For our influence to ripple out to all those around us, to the other nations. You know, when Israel had good leaders and good teams, things went well, but the people were good too. But when they had bad teams, they went very badly. People saw bad teams. started out good, he didn't end well. And so that led in 930 B.C. to a split. Not of a civil war between the North and the two southern tribes were ruled by Solomon's descendants. The northern ten tribes were ruled by other leaders, and they were all bad. It's bad, 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 bad. And so God finally, after a long time putting up with it, made on a threat and allowed the nation of Assyria to enter in, take over the north, and cart people away into the sea. That's So the North is gone. But the South, the Southern team, and that's why you have in the picture there's a division sign between the North and the South. And then you have the the North crossed out. Well, guess what? About 150 years later, the South gets crossed out as well. Because they have a mix of good and bad teams, but after a while, they they end up doing the same thing immorality, idolatry. So God makes good and spread again, and now allows the nation on Babylon. To come in. It's a them. town. It's a black tornado. tear down the temple. It's carried off most of the people. And it looks like that's it. End of story. It's coming. So I know over But when we get to that place in our story, we're thinking it looks like everything's lost. It's all gone. What right now? You where is God when we suffer Everyone everywhere has been suffering, but it's God's people who have the reassurance that he's still with us, he's still working out his plan, that there's a higher purpose, that there's more going on behind the scenes that meets the eye, there's this upper story being worked out in the midst of all of our lower story stuff. But yes, one day God is gonna make all things right, you will be healed, you he will be made whole, it's just a matter of time. God, God can work in all of you, even Sadducees, for his good, just like with Joseph. And he broke them up in, in Egypt's rule in this time of captivity, when all the Jews are now dispersed all over the place, in different nations. God hasn't abandoned them. Previously, he kept prophets to warn them repent, return to God so you don't get taken over. Well, that's too late. God hasn't given up. He sends prophets to them in the midst of captivity. He says, Don't give up. This is only temporary. Encourage, have hope. I'm going to send you home again. And this is actually, even though it's tragic, God will straight out of it because they begin to rely a whole lot less on idols. They begin to build synagogues wherever they go. Remember, they just had one temple. Everybody went to a temple. That's gone. So now they. They can grow synagogues, congregations everywhere, which become a model for churches, and they begin to influence other nations like they were supposed to all along. The ripple starts to go on. God raises up people like Daniel and Esther to influence foreign kings and whole empires. So during a time when there's scattered all over the place, you know what God is working out in such a story? It looks terrible down here. Oh no, we've scattered all over the world. Come on. Now the world's getting more ready for the Messiah. Because wherever the Apostle Paul or the missionaries go to spread the message of Jesus, there's already pockets of Jewish people in the synagogue everywhere. Ready to that. So that's thanks to the captivity. And oh, within 70 years, God makes good on his promise, raises up the Persian Empire, and the exiles go home. And that's the odd. It's returned. turn. They return to Israel between the years 538 to 445 BC. In Jerusalem, they begin to rebuild the temple again. Under Israel, it's like they put in a little temple. I was big. I was nice. I was glorious. And then under Nehemiah, they begin to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. put a little wall in there. That leads to another R, restoration. They're restored. they are good, but not as good as they used to be. They no longer have any kings. They are uh, not as strong or larger, glorious as they used to be. They're semi independent, but they're still under the rule about the of occupying the nation, the Greeks and the Romans. And it's during the time that leaders from the Sadducees and Pharisees begin to arrive in Acheon. And now comes the last part of the Old Testament. The Old Testament. For 400 years God sent thing no more time. It's not another word from the Lord. The last thing he promises is that I'm going to spend this King from the line of David, who will restore and redeem you. So the people are running and rain. The stage is set. the story folks.